Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. Here's your host, Tom Bourne. Hi, and welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. I'm your host, Tom Bourne, and with me today is the amazing Ryan Alexia. Ryan, how are you? Good, thank you, and thanks very much for having me. Happy to be here. Beautiful. Ryan, what part of the world are you uh, based in at the moment? the fresh sunny Gold Coast at the moment. It's a pretty terrible day today. Nice sunny mid-20s spring. Where else would you rather be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you do have those terrible beaches there that no one ever visits as well, right? Well, that's right. And I'm I'm about 500 metres from it at the moment. And it's it's a good one in between meetings when you need some downtime, just go for a bit of a stroll. So it's, yeah, it's a terrible place. Yeah, yeah I can imagine. Do you, do you ever feel the waves calling you when you're in the middle of a meeting or a podcast where you're just going, this is like root canal, I better, I could rather go for a surf? Uh, plenty of times, trust me. The, I, I start doing the yes, right, okay, get a bit short in some of my sayings where I, I definitely, the mind starts to wander to how good the surf is. But yeah, no, we try and try and keep it on on track and, and not waste too much time. But yeah, it's it's a brilliant place here. Love it. I've always been here and it's hard to leave. Yeah, it certainly is. It certainly is. It's it's one of those little parts of paradise. You're still, are you getting getting ready for the spring and summer hailstorms around about four o'clock in the afternoon? Yeah, it's, it normally starts to creep in around November, December. It's, it's funny, I always remember, we haven't had too many of them in the last couple of years, but I always remember growing up, I grew up at a place called Mermaid Waters, which was beautiful on the canal. And we used to get the the five o'clock thunderstorms cut, roll through after really hot, humid days. So yeah. we used to kind of eat dinner and watch the storms come through. And yeah, it's it's interesting how it works. But yeah, really fond memories of all that. But yeah, again, it's a beautiful place. Yeah, love it here. Beautiful. Now, Ryan, I know a little bit about you from doing some research. But for those who don't know you, can you tell us a, a little bit about you, your professional background? how you got into safety, and what you're currently up to. Yeah, well, in 
in the construction industry my whole life. Since I finished high school, I had a a family friend of mine owned a tower crane business. And in year 12, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Did okay academically, but had a stint at uni and didn't really like it. But the family friend in year 12 said, why don't you come work for me on Saturdays, see what you think about construction, see if you're interested. And so I worked Saturdays for free for seven or eight months and and really enjoyed it. I liked um, how direct the people were, how real it all was. It was all a bit hectic and crazy. So for me, I, I, I kind of drew an affinity to it. So I, I started off scrubbing tower crane bolts as a, as a workshop kind of laborer out of, out of year 12 and worked my way up to workshop manager and basically was, was responsible for all the cranes in and out, making sure we had all our commissioning documentation and, and that, that kickstarted my kind of foray into the construction world. So they ended up selling the business just prior to the GFC. So because I was seen as part of the family side of it, I, I was let go and, and, and went into a, a labor hire arrangement where I was just laboring on construction sites, trying to get a job. So I was doing some traffic control and pushing a broom around and thinking back to those days, it was probably really good grounding, but it was a time that I, I was really not happy with where I was at and what I was doing. So it kind of built the foundation of how I am as a manager now, but I, I do look back fondly on the grounding it gave me, but for the best part of a couple of years was really trying to find my way and what I wanted to do and ended up on a construction site called the Queensland Children's Hospital up here um, for Abbey Group where I was doing traffic control and they asked for some safety documents and some swims and the business I was working for asked me just to pull them together for the project and I submitted them to Abbey Group and one of the one of the foremen at the time, an English gentleman by the name of Andrew Herbert, grabbed me and said, these are actually really good. Have you ever thought about getting into safety? I, I hadn't, but they were paying a lot better than what I was on at the time. So, <laughs> so and it was better than traffic control. So I, I jumped at it and yeah, I was, I, I was on that, that children's hospital project for about three and a half years with Abbey group. And it was, it was pretty heavy. It was in Queensland history, folklore for EBA situations where we spent a 11 weeks of not working when we were going through that that time. But again, it was a really good grounding for me in the industry, in, in the safety profession to get thrown in the deep end, work on the highest profile project in the state at the time by accident, but just worked with some extraordinarily good people who took me under, under their wing and showed me the ropes. So that was how I got into into safety. And yeah, so uh, it, it evolved to moving on to regional executive, you know, state manager roles with Hanson Yunkin, family owned business, great people. And then into multiplex where, you know, looking after some of the biggest projects in the state at the time. And, you know, with a team of, you know, 15 to 20 safety and training people where I learned to, you know, get really strategic and, and build my craft in, in kind of an executive management role, which led me to where I am now with Next Track. I'm the chief executive officer here. I I never expected to be in this capacity, in this role in in a startup software ecosystem. But but just for context, where we're a real-time occupational health management platform. So there is there is an affinity and a synergy to my past of I still see myself as a safety 
practitioner and professional and I always will be that. So it's, it's good that I can bring that to the business on that now and, you know, solve health challenges around, you know, at the moment, silica really where we're providing real time monitors and, and, and a platform to really demonstrate to builders and subcontractors how effective implemented, implemented control measures are and, and utilize my experience in, in my previous roles to then start to really drill down and educate and train people into higher order controls so that we can protect people from, from the exposures they're getting now and, and provide a healthy workforce. So I apologize for the long-winded answer to that, but it's, <laughs> it's interesting when, when you get asked about your, your journey and you, you, you think back to some of those moments, it's, it's things pan out the way they do that you never really planned for, but yeah, it's been, a, it's been a really interesting journey. Yeah, I, no apology necessary. I find most people, no one ever asks them about their history. They, they want to know about their, the, you know, that five-minute snapshot, but no one ever wants to say, where did you begin? And so as soon as you open the floodgates, people usually go, well, actually, yeah, I've been holding on to this story the whole life, and here you go. Yep. All right, before we get into what you're currently doing, I now know who the culprit was who was in charge of the, the lovely traffic around the children's hospital when it was being constructed. <laughs> My, yeah. I must tell you, it might have been brilliant. I don't know enough about traffic control, but I can tell you, trying to get a child in and around that area for, yeah, you're right, years. I mightn't have said your name, Ryan, out loud, but I've certainly cursed whoever was in the <laughs> many times. Yeah, we were, we were never fan favourites there, and we... Cyclists alike used to give us some interesting hand gestures <laughs> on approach to us, but you know we were well trained to 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 deal with that as part of our journey. But yeah, look, it, it, it's one of those things. I've got a lot of respect for the trade. Obviously, when you do it, you live a a day in someone's shoes and you appreciate what happens, and it's never easy. And everyone just thinks you're a high paying person who's quite lazy, holding a pop, a polling hand swinging it stop and slow but it's there's a lot to it and it's a high-risk environment and you're the public face of a project so how you interact with people is often their first experience with the project around it and often no one really wants the project there so, so yeah look i i hold my hand up for for causing a lot of people grief in around vulture <laughs> street for a, for a few years there but as i said it was it was really good grounding for me and and again it it you know, it's things that you appreciate when you go into management roles that mm. it kind of is really good grounding for the people in around to, you know, how every little job is so important to the big, big picture of how an organization effectively does what it does. Yeah. I, I was speaking to someone last year and uh, and they, they, they were telling me that one of their traffic controllers on a fairly busy road had, well, that they got a fish that got thrown out a window which hit them in the face and I went that's not something you'd expect when you you're filling out the hazards to expect as a traffic controller fish in face that's definitely a first one for me I've I've had a few few things thrown in the general direction but a fish definitely isn't one of them so yeah it's yeah I, I can I can picture the incident report and, and that process how that all looks and a few a few interesting queries yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's I, a thankless I, job yeah, it, it is. It is. All right. Other thing I, you talked about was cranes. Look, I always love 
big pieces of equipment, big pieces of plant. And it's always it's always a, a wonder to me, how on earth do those cranes get built? Because, you know, it seems like there's a one day you go past a site, there's no crane. The next day or within a couple of days, the crane's fully up. And it, it, it's not a uh, small thing to do. How does that actually happen? Oh, they're, they're magnificent machines. And for a, a kid who was pretty scared of heights, it was a quick, unique way to, to get over my fear. But yeah, they're, in terms of process, you know, there's a lot of work geotechnically to build a foundation for that crane because they've got really high stands. So you've got a, essentially this freestanding tower in the air that sways backwards and forwards. Plus it's got this twisting motion from when it spins around. So the everything is really held up by the foundation of the tower crane but yeah they build a base tower and essentially tie that into the ground with a concrete slab and then bolt these pieces of it's like a, a lego set they literally have a it's called a tower structural steel piece that essentially gets bolted together and then they land the crane and or, or the machine deck and bolt that together and and then bolt together this great big jib at the front of it uh, Put, put put a power pack on the back, which is all the engines and hang a rope off it all and, and then test it all. So it's it, it's a fine art. Those guys that are the riggers that pull it together are just absolute gems. No fear, those guys. They harness up at, you know, some seen heights that, you know, a, any normal person would just have a have a heart attack thinking about climbing up. But yeah, they're, they're brilliant machines get put up really quickly, typically in a day. They can freestand and have them up. But even more impressive is when they actually climb them, they put, it's called a climbing frame on the crane and it's got these hydraulic pins that lifts the whole crane up and leaves a space between the the towers below it and, and the machine deck above. And then using a monorail, they pull in the next tower piece and then bolt it all together. And it's just a marvelous feat to watch those guys do it. It's it's super impressive machinery. And if anyone has five minutes to go and jump on YouTube and have a look at some of the videos around how it all gets done, it just blows my mind. It's so cool. And to be involved with all that in in you know my my career, I got a bit of a stint driving some of them as well. And it's just a powerful machine that's so impressive. All right. Yeah, no, it's one of those things that I always go. How on earth? I mean, because they do so much work around you know, high-rise construction, which is everywhere. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, It's just the weights they can lift. Like, just you get some of the tower cranes out now that are lifting, like, 120-ton machines at 30 metres away. Just the engineering behind it is is so cool. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's an impressive bit of kit that is stock standard on every job now and, uh, again, hasn't structurally innovated in a long time but there's plenty of innovation going with the systems that they use now for managing the tower cranes yeah all right tell us about next track it's uh, i'll let you i won't even put the question just just tell us about next track yeah so so we're trying to solve the problem of occupational lung diseases right now and and you know for us we're trying to utilize some really sophisticated real-time monitors to start the feedback performance data around how effective control measures are for those health kind of activities so or how hazards i should say it, it was 
always a case that I think the natural evolution of the profession was always that the physical safety controls were always in place and done pretty well to a good degree, but the health part often got missed. But, you know, COVID fixed that problem for, for the industry and brought us all down to earth around actually protecting the individual as well. And obviously there's been a lot documented around silica and engineered stone and those industries and the effects it's having on people for a few years now. And, you know, so for us, it was, you know, an experience of utilizing hygiene in previous roles and, you know, seeing the value that brought to what we were doing, but trying to solve that problem at scale was really, you know, cost prohibitive and, and often just took a very long time to, get a, a, a finger on the pulse of what we were doing and how effective it was. So, so next track was, was founded by Paul and Chris and Brennan, and they'd been around for a few years and I'd actually, you know, road tested on one of our projects and done a trial around, we were doing some jackhammering of, of piles on one of our projects here on the Gold Coast and, and, and saw that what we were doing, you know, wasn't really managed well enough you know we thought we had everything in place but we we put these monitors on and we realized we were getting really high exposures and and the controls could have been a lot better so so i i got super interested and in the end the more i spoke to paul the more we the more we started to get a feel that we could work together so i wanted to not just help my previous business i wanted to help the industry to solve that problem at scale so so yeah we've been I've been with the business for 18 months, but the business has been around for about four and a half years now. And we're on, you know, about 80 odd projects and and scaling up from there. But we've got to pick up our first few projects in Melbourne now. And we're really starting to build out repeatable process for a number of activities that we were able to demonstrate. This is what good looks like with some validated data that, you know, it gives some really good certainty for, for construction companies and also for, for workers that if these controls are in place, I know I'm protected. So that's really what we're trying to do. And, and yeah, now we're just, it's let's start scaling up and improve our platform and, you know, the reporting analytics side that we're doing and yeah, we're, we're enjoying it. It's a startup ecosystem. I wouldn't recommend it for, for a lot of people, but it's, it's a hell of a, hell of a ride. Yeah. 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 I can imagine. All right. Real time dust monitoring. It's an interesting concept because I was, I was, I've spoken to someone who deals with a lot of airborne lung diseases, shall we say, and, and they, they were saying that, the, that they believe the current monitoring was you do the monitoring, you take out the filter, the filter gets analysed, and then it brings back data, but that opportunity's gone. Real-time monitoring something a bit different than that? Yeah, it is. It's 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 very different at the moment. So the the example you're talking about is the traditional hygiene model, which to to really understand compliance against workplace exposure standards is is a must legislatively. And it's you know taking physical samples, sending it to a lab, getting reports back to validate that that is a you know silica dust that someone's been exposed to, and and how much of that has occurred over the course of an extrapolated day so it's it's an important piece where where real-time fits is the ability to test control so i i see them the two different systems as two sides of one coin i think i think gravimetric analysis 
is here to stay and and is an essential piece of the of the cog to prove and demonstrate legislatability that something works. But real-time gives you that instantaneous feedback that you can't get from the traditional hygiene model. So, you know, real-time monitors can pick up all dust, which is great. It, it, it struggles to extrapolate out the silica content, but that's where our platform really gets smart, where we can start to input some of the SCS data and, and really fine-tune what that looks like in terms of the silica content. But where it really starts to give that instantaneous feedback of I've got no control potentially in place and here's what my exposure looks like. I've now put a control in place and I can visibly in one minute averages or 15 minute averages, see a reduction in exposure and go, Oh geez, that is working. What else can I do? Can I now add some RPE to it? Can I add some extraction, you know, HEPA filtrated systems to that and go for, you know, my view of as low as reasonably practicable exposures then between the two systems of grab metric and real time, then the the industry has a really good snapshot on, I've got a report that demonstrates that I can comply and be below an exposure standard, but here's how I'm performing right now in terms of those controls they're maintained. And I've got something that proves that they're actually effective here and now and not causing secondary exposure concerns. So it's the model moving forward and you know, industry starting to really understand its place and how it fits into the ecosystem that, you know, probably two years ago wasn't there. Yeah. A construction, commercial construction sites still highly unionized. Very. And, you know, that won't change anytime soon. I, you know, it's an important part of the ecosystem, the labor movement. So I think unions understand and see it as a, as a good thing. Anything that is, you know, reinforcing good controls and and reducing exposures to workers is a good thing. So I think everyone's still in a perspective of let's see how this pans out because at the moment it's it is new and as always with new things there's a learning curve and industry starting to see that happen. You know, we're having discussions with unions at the moment and they definitely see it as as a, a part of the toolkit that is here to stay. Um, yeah. But again, it's understanding what it is and, and 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 seeing the value proposition. So again, it's going to be a five-year journey on that framework of everyone understanding how it fits in. But, you know, we're, we're 12 months, 18 months into that and, and we've made some, some really good progress in the education world. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah, yeah. The only reason I asked that was... Uh, I. 
I would think that it might actually solve a few issues almost immediately. You know, if there's been a complaint and a union delegate comes up and says, blah, 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 this is not effective, people are complaining about the dust, real-time monitoring might just take the heat out of the situation if you're able to demonstrate, well, this is the exposure that we have currently right now. Uh, I think that might actually help, I don't know, the whole workplace. Yeah, I think you're... 100% on the money. Like it's it's quantifying something that at the moment can't be quantified fairly quickly. Mm. Again, it's it's understanding what it's utilised for and, it, and, and again, it needs to be utilised to test how effective those controls are. So to be able to come into a work workplace potentially on the back of a complaint going, the workers aren't quite sure, but we need to test that. And, and you know, for... An organizer to come to site, take a take a snapshot of what is and or, or isn't happening in a fairly quick point of time just diffuses or resolves the situation for something to happen. So again, it's it's a it's a point of action to do something. So we only see that as a benefit that, you know, potentially waiting four weeks for a report, you can resolve it on the spot and and as I said, diffuse the situation. So for us, we only see it as a good thing. Yeah, excellent. You talked about jackhammering. What other construction activities generate significant amounts of dust? There's plenty around. We we see pretty consistent evidence around shock creating as really high exposure elements. Floor preparation, often when they're doing floor grinding, they have some really good controls, but we find around the maintenance of filtration systems that those guys use, often they're only kind of doing the 12 month minimum maintenance requirement, but those things get clogged up pretty quick. So we find that the control's there, but not maintained. So we find pretty high exposures to those areas or that activity. Blockies with their block saws, tilers in particular, when they're cutting tiles in bathrooms, because they're often in an enclosed environment, we start to get a feel for some really high exposures. So they're probably the indicative, I guess, on the higher end of activities that we're consistently getting feedback on, you know, to try and improve controls for those activities. So they're the consistent ones at the moment, but yeah, jackhammering is, is another one as well. But the good part is with jackhammering, there's some really good engineering controls around plant that you can use, i.e. excavators <laughs> instead and, and some pile croppers and things like that, that you can just actually take the human element out of it. So for us, it's reinforcing those high, high order controls and, you can delete the person out of it, then that's just a win-win. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It seems to be that you're focused around the construction industry. Um, any thoughts about pushing into maybe the resource industry where dust is, well, it's a problem everywhere I've ever been. There's been dust issues on mine sites. Yeah, look, strategically right now, we've kind of got blinkers on from a business perspective because it's easy for us to go do a number of myriad of sectors. But for us, it's trying to you know prove up the model and get some interesting data really quick and, and, and demonstrate our capabilities. So we definitely are heading to the resources sector, whether that's 12 months away or a little bit longer, we're, we'll wait and see. But we see the application definitely in the mining sector. We see it in manufacturing where particularly around obviously the stone bench top, but you know, areas like passerboard, manufacture, concrete batching plants, those type of industries quarrying 
where there's definitely applications for what we're doing. We're having some conversations with people at the moment around asset management. So, you know, where a shopping center may be getting a refurb or a commercial tower with a refurb, possible environments where they've got to have dust-free environments. There's a myriad of applications for what we're doing. So we've got one eye on the future of getting to those sectors. But for us right now, it's about proving out the model demonstrating our capacity and capability. And and then we'll go really hard into those strategic sectors and start building out our portfolio. Yeah, I would would say that in manufacturing, and you mentioned kitchen benchtops and that, this would be, this would be, I would suggest, one of the most ideal things we can because you've got the real-time monitoring. You can see how effective your extraction fans are, et cetera, et cetera, in real time. And as opposed to perhaps just hoping because speaking to a few people they're talking about those kitchen bench tops that exposure of you know three years or less is enough yeah. to 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 basically give you silicosis which it never used to be like that obviously correct and you know acute silicosis now in that stone bench top industry we're hearing stories of some people after like months of exposure having for for us, having something there that is giving an instant feedback loop with an alert system of stop what you're doing, the exposures are too high over a 15 minute window, that's just gold for for any business. So for us, it's, as I said, it's an area we wanna build into. It's it's an area that needs support. And for the workers there, it's, it's peace of mind that the controls I'm using either A, aren't working and I need to stop and improve it or B, it's that that assurance of I'm comfortable because I know that if I'm doing this, I've got this monitor here telling me that I'm okay. So so we we just see it as an obvious answer that it's, it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. You talked earlier about being able to set the filters to pick up particular particles like silica could it also be programmed to pick up other particles like i don't know airborne coal dust it it can some of the real-time monitors out there are quite sophisticated so i know a lot of them have been used for like smoke particulate diesel particulate there's a range of you know bespoke monitors out there now that can do these varying range of hazards you know from you know, epoxy resins and things like that, volatile organic organic compounds. The the investment globally in this space has been significant over the net, over the last few years, and it's only getting better. The sensors are getting better; they're getting smaller, which makes them more movable. And yeah, and then the communications behind them is 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 really sophisticated. So it's only going to get get better it's only going to get and I, I might touch on a bit later but more connected in terms of you know iot with internet of things and how you can connect monitor to control and and it starts to really get some smarts and start automating you know scale up scale down of controls that's when we really get value so yeah there's there's a wide range of monitors that are identifying a wide range of hazards that workers are being exposed to day in day out that you know for a lot of businesses it's they're dealing with the grenade that's in front of them and trying to resolve that immediate problem, but it should be on their strategic plans to understand what these health hazards are and really putting some good structures in place. And uh, I, I think I'd be correct in saying that regulator and public concerns over dust 
they're not going to go away. These are, these are things that are now wired into our safety beliefs and controls are necessary. I would expect that in the next few years, there will be more air quality demands or harsher air quality command controls actually required by regulators and, and the public opinion pushing these things. So it's something that businesses really do have to basically get on top of. All right. Yeah, 100%. And just to add to that, like right now, federal government has got the Dust Disease Task Force well up and running. They've been running for a couple of years now and some of the recommendations are starting to flow through where, you know, there's a registry for exposures for workers and mm. and and it at the moment silica dust is that step into it but it's not the only hazard so i i see the government going you know what we've learned a lot from this silica dust side of things and the effects it's had what else is around the corner and and it's only going to evolve more and more so the earlier businesses start to look around the corner of all that stuff and get ahead of what um, regulators are doing um, the better off they'll be yeah, the fact that in 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 your state, lovely Queensland, is basically providing free chest X rays for people who've been involved in the resources industries, tells me that they that they believe there's going to be significant issues down the track, and they're just trying yep. to to get ahead of the the the, the curve there. Yeah, the you're hundred percent right. They're doing that twofold. It's how big's the how big's the problem. And, and how many are affected. So, yeah, it's it's the start. And they did the same thing up here with the stone bench shop industry. They put every worker through health monitoring to understand the impact. And it was something like 25 to 30% of workers had silicosis. So the mining sector is going through the same thing. And from a construction perspective, there's a code of practice that came out this year and, and, and same requirements around health monitoring because they the government doesn't understand the scope of the problem, but health monitoring provides that extent. So it's 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 only going to get more structured, more rigid, stronger penalties, and and you know it's it's a real issue. Yeah, we had Curtin University a couple of years ago put out a, a lovely report on what they believed the silicosis problem was, and they they estimated then that in our lifetime we'd have a hundred thousand people diagnosed with silicosis which it's not just a, a workplace issue this starts to be a public health issue when you're talking about those numbers of people who are no offense filling up our hospitals and that when they don't actually have to be there um it, it it's a significant community issue if nothing else yeah it's it's terrible numbers and, and you're right it's a massive burden on on our public system so as i said it's something that regulators are now being quite strong on because they can see the the follow-on impact to it and you know I'd, I'd hate to see some of the figures that we've paid out in workers compensation claims in Queensland in particular over the last three four years from from the mining and stone bench top sectors but imagine if we'd instead utilize that on the on the positive side of things and 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 you know utilize that to encourage good controls so it's it's a terrible impact that this isn't you. Silica, you know, hasn't been known for hundreds of years. It's been in our legislative environments for a very long. So it's pretty disappointing we're in this circumstance. But you know, at least something is being done right now. But yeah, it's a 
it's 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 a terrible burden. Yeah. All right. Just you don't have to answer this at all, but I just was wondering with the use of real time monitoring and current control measures that are available. Do you believe that it's still necessary to ban all manufactured stone bench tops being imported and used in Australia? Look, personally, I'd say if controls were put in place uh, to manage it, my answer would be no, but it's just not a reality. So I, I feel where we're at right now as an industry that they've probably really got no other choice but to do it. So it's it's a reflection of of how slow the learning curve has been. So like I I, I know that that basically the imputation side of things is is going to stop. But again, there's a backlog, you know, for example, of stone benchtop in the country right now for about 10 years worth of supplies. So it's not going away anywhere and it's going to take a while for this to flow through in terms of the actual, you know, ban on, on these products. But yeah, I, I really see no other way forward at the moment other than to do it. So yeah, I, I, I think it's a done deal. And, and it's a sad reality because if everyone did the, 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 the good things well, then a lot of things wouldn't happen, but it's, it's, it's just a reflection of the industry. Yeah. Oh, we're, we're just commencing building something over here in lovely Perth. And it, it surprised me because one of the big sales pitches we got pushed was about the, the, the lovely manufactured stone bench tops that were going to be put in the bathrooms and the kitchen. And I was like, have you not actually heard anything in the last 12 months or so about this? Yeah. But uh, it's still there. And the interesting thing about this is, as was pointed out to me by the other day, was even if we ban and stop using it, you know, tomorrow, the issue will be with us for probably another generation or two as people demolish and knock down kitchens and et cetera, et cetera, renovate. There'll be people cutting and smashing these things up and, and, and the dust will then be in the next generation, much as it did with asbestos when people were doing do-it-yourself. So I, you're hundred percent on the money. It's, it's not going anywhere just yet. So yeah, it's, it's, you're right. The asbestos side of things was banned 30 odd years ago plus, and, and we're still dealing with the impact of it now. I know again, from a Queensland perspective, the government's having a massive push on asbestos and management and removal processes. Now it's not, it's not going anywhere. And I remember being in a previous role when I was at multi we were doing tenders for projects and this was back in 2018 2019 when we were you know with educated developers saying we can price this product for you and put it in place but here's what the impact of doing that will have for your whole of life implications and and here's how big the problem is and there was plenty of developers that looked at it and said you know what we're we'll pay the premium because we don't want that legacy issue and some of the blue chip clients did do that but there was plenty of people that went for the poor performance standard you get from a stone bench top sorry an engineered stone bench top versus a traditional marble granite or whatever it may be we want the lowest number and 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 we still want it so again it's there's a lot of economics behind it but it's a legacy item that you're right when we're demolishing places or refurbing or it, it, it's a latency condition that someone has to deal with in the future and we're just kicking the can down the road. So 
it's here to stay for a while now and and, and we've just got to have some good processes around how we manage it. Okay. All right, something completely different. Gold Coast United. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How 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 is how is the the lovely what do you, what do you guys call it? Do you guys still call it football? How how is football yeah. on the Gold Coast? Football on the Gold Coast is pretty good at the moment. Yeah, we're just kind of winding up our season. So we got about a week in it or two weeks ago and, and we're done for the year. But yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a football tragic, so I can't get away from it. But yeah, right now as as we stand, I'm in submission phase for the national second division. So um we're having a play at trying to be in a, in the new national tier where we can eventually be an A-league club again. Gold Coast United was once an A-league club under Clive Palmer when he owned the club and we've kind of reinvented ourselves as a community club over the last five years, but we've got aspirations to to get back to that that level we were at. So yeah, it's 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 what I would say is my my full-time job and then I've got a full-time job on the side. But I love it. It's it's the game's given me so much and 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 it's me trying to give back now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Women's World Cup, how big a how big a kick for uh, football of all male or female football in Australia. How big a kick has that been for the code? It's been generational. Honestly, we've been planning with the governing body and I, I do do some work to support the governing body as well. For We've been planning this for three, four years. And honestly, I don't think any of us really predicted how on board the country would get with the Women's World Cup. I, I was fortunate enough to go to the Australia-France game in the quarterfinal where we won the penalty shootout and that was just the most electric feeling watching a game of any code ever. So, you know, just to try and quantify, I, I coach a, a group of eight-year-olds and at training, we were doing some shooting exercises and and I've got one kid who's going, oh, watch me, I'm Lionel Messi trying to shoot. And I had another kid go, look at me, I'm Sam Kerr. So I never would have thought in my lifetime something like that would come from from an eight-year-old kid. But as I said, this is it's been a generational event that we've got plans to really take advantage of for the next, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. And and obviously putting ourselves out there for a men's world cup in in after 2030 is is part of that picture. But I I, I feel that, you know the highest TV ratings for anything mm. ever just speaks volumes of how on board everyone got. So we're going to have, you know, those eight-year-olds coming through that all teach their kids and and it's set up not just football, but I think women's sport holistically as well. Mm. Uh, it, it's just catapulted it into, into the the stratosphere. So, so proud of what we've achieved with it all, but yeah, it's, it's how we leverage that now, which is the real challenge. Yeah, absolutely, because Australians do, do, do tend to have a short sporting memory where we we embrace something and then it's like, who are you the next day? But yeah. you're right, statistics don't lie on this. And when that, you saw the statistics come out about the viewing, that's extraordinary, They're absolutely extraordinary. And, yeah, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that that would be something um, you can follow up on. I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I prefer watching the women's game than I do the men's game because I think, I don't know, there's a lot less theatrics 
involved in the women's game than the men's at that at the moment. It's um, hard to disagree with you on that one. And and they play a very end-to-end game, which is really entertaining. You know, it you know, you watch some of those games, particularly the England one, even though we're on the kind of the wrong side of the scoreline, it was super entertaining for the neutral person to watch. There was yeah. plenty of goals and and they they like to take risks and 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 it and it pays off. So I I, I loved watching every game. It was super entertaining, and yeah, I I think there's a fair few people that have been bitten by the bug of the women's game that hopefully we'll have as supporters forever now. Yeah. All right, Ryan. Time has just about fled fled us. So thank you so much for coming on on, on the the pod and and being recorded and telling us about next track. I really do appreciate it. But for now, we'll have to leave it there. But. I do look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thanks so much for having me. This is really enjoyable and love the pod. Keep doing what you do well. So I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Health and Safety Conversations with Tom Bourne. Until next time, stay safe and enjoy the rest of your week.